everyone. It's Gloria, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 7 of Independent. Today, I am back with my friend Rhonda, and we will be continuing our conversation about crypto. If you haven't already, please take a listen to last week's episode. It's an overview of what crypto and blockchain are. In part two this week, we will be talking about why the price of Bitcoin has increased recently and different ways to enter the market. Hope you enjoy. Last week, we defined terms around Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies, and blockchain, but we never really got into the history of it. Rhonda, could you talk a bit about the history of Bitcoin? The first Bitcoin white paper was published in uh, 2008 by Satoshi Nakamoto, this like anonymous entity that surfaced in the internet that like, it might be a group, it might be a person, who knows. And then in 2009, Bitcoin emerged within like tradable public markets magically. And then all of a sudden you're able to buy Bitcoin for 10 cents. So if you look at the general price history of Bitcoin as an asset class, along with its over a decade of history, you're able to see it becomes the best performing asset class within human history, actually. I think it rose from 10 cents all the way over to 20,000. I can't find another asset that has that kind of returns that happened within the public markets. If you look at all the interesting, innovative technological advancements, similar to Tesla stocks, I mean, Tesla stocks, when it first launched in the public markets, it was at about like $40 or something like that. Now, if you compare it pre-price split, it's now at about $2,500 US. So like... That itself is just like, it kind of shows you uh, the exponential growth for um, technologically breakthrough companies and just like assets in general on just like their growth potential. Obviously, it's a, it's a battle of like which, which technology succeeds. But like, I think in the midst of when it's apparent to see that Bitcoin will probably surpass like its competitors in terms of like just activity and just adoption from like these institutional players where like rich people are buying Bitcoin. It kind of gives you a view of, oh, this is like Google when Yahoo, MSN and Bing were all in the market, but then now we only use Google. This is almost like Apple iPhone when it first came out when Samsung had their smartphone, Motorola has their smartphone, BlackBerry has their smartphone, but then in the end, Apple became the main cell phone brand to actually make a substantially more profits than all these other competitors. And it kind of like is a similar story to me for Bitcoin in this case. You see like history almost repeating itself. I mean, like to quote Mark Twain, history doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. I think this is like a similar case for blockchain and crypto assets. Right. And the recent price increase seems to say that the market is in agreement with that sentiment. Mid-December this year, Bitcoin has reached a new all-time high above $23,000 USD. Why do you think this is? Right now, I think during the recent bull market of Bitcoin or crypto assets in general, you're you're kind of able to see that a lot of these crypto assets are going towards an all-time high direction or upwards direction. I, I think a large majority of this 
has been really just three factors at play here. Those three factors being the number one, COVID has enabled governments around the world to slow down their economies within the world and step in to create stimulus money and lending programs to help a large amount of these businesses to keep on operating and then to help the people to not suffer during all this. This kind of creates a long-term monetary supply. And with the whole idea of inflation, the more money supply you have within the network, and then you're not providing your economy did not have any more goods to contribute. In the end, the prices of goods are going to rise, right? So there's that underlying fundamental principle. And if you look at the Federal Reserve balance sheet, which is the US Central Bank's balance sheet, they have effectively added 3 trillion more <laughs> value within their balance sheet, just creating all these money out of thin air. Before it was at 4 trillion just during the beginning of the year, and now it's at 7 trillion. And similar to Bank of Canada, which is the Central Bank of Canada, they essentially expanded their balance sheet by three times. Right. So consumers are facing a decrease in purchasing power due to inflation. So they would want to invest in more store value assets such as crypto. Yeah. If you believe that we're going to face long-term inflation, you should hedge yourself in inflation hedged assets, almost like gold, equities, land, or crypto. There are probably a lot more asset classes that I'm not saying but do your own research. I can't list them all. <laughs> Speaking of hedging, like, do you think that Bitcoin or other crypto will replace gold as a form of hedging in the future? I think as the network matures and the infrastructure, like as in more developers starts to build on top of Bitcoin instead of trying to replace it with other cryptocurrencies, in that future, yes, that with that future, Bitcoin will slowly eat away gold's market share. Right now, gold is at about roughly $9 trillion within the whole monetary system. Bitcoin is only roughly at $300 billion. So if you compare that number, if Bitcoin just become like 10% of gold, that's 3x returns. For Bitcoin, there's, it's just so early right? It's almost compared to like the initial stages when they're first mining gold and trying to figure out where gold lies within the economy. I personally feel Bitcoin itself is actually superior to gold because in this idea of an advanced civilization that are able to travel to space and we're able to live on the moon, in that case, right, you're able to transfer Bitcoin more easily than gold at that point. Right. So it's just a matter of adoption. And there's another case, if we're speaking to like the transportation cost case, gold is actually more expensive because when you're buying gold, you're buying based on the value. And if you're like buying multi-million dollars of gold as an inflation hedge as a rich person, because we know that like 1% of the rich people within the world owns 
over 50% of the wealth within the world, right? If 1% of this like rich people are trying to find an inflation hedge, do they hedge themselves with cryptocurrencies or do they hedge themselves with gold? Because with the gold, it gives them a dilemma of if they're pouring millions into gold, they have to figure out the transportation cost. They have to figure out the custody cost. With Bitcoin, I can tell you right now, I can transfer Bitcoin from one wallet to to a wallet in China with no cost, within 15 minutes. So what are the different options to buy Bitcoin? For example, if I don't want to go ahead and have a crypto wallet to purchase my Bitcoin? Right now, I think there are more choices to buy Bitcoin at this point because the market is starting to mature. And with more institutions being allowed to actually own cryptocurrencies, which helps, there are literally a fund out there in the stock market that's basically a Bitcoin ETF. And that exists on the Toronto Stock Exchange called the Bitcoin Fund, managed by 3IQ. And then within their balance sheet, they hold more than 90% of Bitcoin within that share of the fund. And that's tradable on the Toronto Stocks Exchange. And that's probably another reason why we're seeing the price rise. There's been a lot of technological advancements in blockchain and also regulation has been catching up. So now you can buy things like Bitcoin ETFs, as you mentioned, which makes it, I guess, safer to invest in Bitcoin now compared to years before. So then how is that? different from just buying Bitcoin itself? So depends on how much control you want, right? So we now know the stock market is one option. There are also like over-the-counter options for more institutional hedge fund managers to kind of manage outside from the stock market. You see Grayscale asset managers. They're probably the largest asset managers that's holding a large majority of the Bitcoin right now as a fund, as an institutional player that's actually doing their own like due diligence and operating and keeping these crypto wallets in cold storage and with a whole like kind of system figured out. Another option for an individual buyer is to actually hold these Bitcoin within a wallet that you control. It depends on like how much control would you want, right? You're able to buy Bitcoin within a crypto exchange. And then there's a number of them. I personally spread my crypto across like four different exchanges out there just because I, I don't like to uh, pour all my eggs in one basket. I have like multiple accounts, but I use Kraken. I use Coinbase. I use ShakePay. I use Newton. I've also used uh, Coinsquare. I basically try a bunch of these platforms <laughs> just to test out. Mm -hmm. I initially tested out their like kind of speed or like what are what are their fees advantages, what are like their feature advantages. And then what these places are able to do is once you buy the crypto from there, you're able to transfer that crypto freely into another wallet. So that depends on like what you would want your personal control for crypto is. If your goal with crypto is really just to buy it at a low cost and then have it appreciate as an investment vehicle and then sell it afterwards. Any of these derivative platforms like the Bitcoin fund, the ETF fund, or going on Wealthsimple and buying the crypto. I personally, when I'm buying it from the stock market, I buy stocks of mining companies and maybe sometimes 
the ETF just because you can all buy from your TFSA account. So it's tax advantage. But then I also hold a substantial amount of Bitcoin in a personal wallet for this ideal future, right? If you're thinking about this ideal future of the infrastructure kind of becoming in place and then you're able to get collateralized loans against your Bitcoin, that's, that becomes really powerful to me in terms of financial institution and innovation in this space, because then you're able to uh, lend your Bitcoin for a return. Right. Or borrow against your Bitcoin, almost like a mortgage within your own house to buy actual stuff in the world, but then like still keeping in the control of your crypto assets there because you think it's going to go up. Interesting. So the future for that, you see potentially becoming some sort of equity, for example, like a home equity loan. Yeah, I think it is going to eventually be there. I mean, like the infrastructure exists a little bit roughly right now. There are institutions in the US and then also in Canada, but like the rates are crazier over here. But I feel like once that space kind of figures itself out and then the volatility of the crypto assets becomes more dampened, that space can become more matured and more powerful in terms of what you're able to do with your Bitcoin to lend against government-based money, basically. (laughs) These mediums of exchange. Or you just have plans to like transfer your Bitcoin to another person. Yeah. And that's another reason that we're seeing an increase in Bitcoin prices due to the increased adoption by institutional investors. Can you talk a bit more about this? What a lot of these investment banks are starting to say Fidelity Investments, a really large investment product company. Fidelity has a digital assets arm, and they're starting to say investors should hedge themselves within cryptocurrency as an investment, just because like the potential growth is just so large. It's this idea of asymmetric returns. Yeah, and Fidelity Investments has... 3.3 trillion US dollars of assets under management. So they are pretty legit. Yeah. Right now, the idea out there is like if Bitcoin succeeds as an investment case, it will turn from $20,000 to potentially over a million within, let's say, like the next two decades. So that asymmetric returns of what you're getting based on your $1 as an investment, it would be almost, you're basically losing money by not hedging yourself at roughly 1%, uh, let's say. And you see like BlackRock's uh, CEO recently went on CNBC and he started to say that he sees crypto to eventually eat away gold as an investment case. And that's really interesting because before, back in 2017, you didn't have a lot of these investment banks. For example, JP Morgan's CEO literally said he will fire anyone that trades crypto. And then suddenly JP Morgan's starting to invest in crypto. That is happening right now. You're seeing way more institutional demand in this case. And then knowing that the institutional money are probably pouring in Right now, you have companies that are hedging themselves into Bitcoin 
A very notable company right now is MicroStrategy. Their CEO, Michael Saylor, he recently announced that they bought Bitcoin to replace about, I, I want to say it was 40% of their treasury assets. Yeah, so according to a press release on MicroStrategy's website, as of December 21st, 2020, the company holds an aggregate of approximately 70,470 Bitcoins, and those were acquired at an aggregate purchase price of approximately $1.125 billion. That's crazy. Yeah, so so you have the CEO of MicroStrategy just deciding to hedge their bets on Bitcoin to become even more of an inflation hedge. And you have the CEO of Square, which is Jack Dorsey, which also owns Twitter. And they announced that they're allocating 1% of their cash assets into Bitcoin. And then you have a private business within Canada called Tahini's. It's a restaurant chain. During the pandemic, they said they're allocating 100% of their treasury assets into Bitcoin. So there's definitely a lot of these uh, corporate demand as well, which I think the institutions are starting to catch on a little bit more. That's so interesting. Okay. Certainly something to think about for people who are not yet invested. Do you have any recommendations on books or blogs to read for people to find out more? I think a good book to read to understand a little bit more about money this book called The Ascent of Money by Niall Ferguson. I think it helps a lot on just like trying to get the gist of like how money works within societies and how the whole store of value and medium exchange came to be. So the CEO of MicroStrategy, because they have so much stake in Bitcoin now, they're kind of also starting to preach a lot about the research around this whole space. They made a website called Hope dot com h-o-p-e dot com and it literally redirects you into the company's bitcoin section shows you all their research and the ceo's interviews on all his thoughts on like the idea of bitcoin as a technology if you want to go full-on nerd and get into more research side arc invests they're a research investment fund that's all dedicated on like open research they publicly share their published white papers their theses on emerging innovation technologies that they see like companies in that will probably do well within the next five years. They have three research papers on Bitcoin that you're able to find about Bitcoin mining and Bitcoin as an investment. I think they have some key interesting metrics and thoughtful theses to kind of keep in mind. What are some of the ideas that they're sharing about Bitcoin? They have this idea of like Bitcoin as an insurance against currency failure. So right now, there are a few countries that are experiencing currency failure, like devaluing their currency because of hyperinflation. Venezuela come to mind. Their thesis on Bitcoin is that Bitcoin has the potential to protect against currency failure because it's this idea of a hard asset that people are able to freely buy into and then freely transfer to other people. Mm -hmm. But because there was a bubble previously, do you think there will be a bubble that bursts again? I think in terms of just a normal market cycles all these like assets will go into these phase of like boom and bust but i think 
at this point, if you have this institutional demand, there might be initially a giant upwards trend within the next at least three years. That's my like that's my time horizon. Within the next three years, um, we're gonna see a higher price of Bitcoin than its all-time highs. And what about hacking? How easy is it for someone to steal your Bitcoin? Yeah, so hacking, almost like any risk, there is the potential for hacking. You're doing your due diligence to kind of keep your passwords and key phrases for these wallets secured. For example, keeping a uh, cold wallet, it's just it's like one of these uh, USB sticks. And then these USB sticks are effectively storing what your private keys for these wallets are. These are offline devices. So in your computers, you're never like getting your keys logged or anything, or like as long as you're like safe from viruses, that's kind of like an inherent risk. You're never like really fully secure against like real robbery or real thieves from like stealing your cash anyways. So these are all like inherent risks. You might have risks in being scammed into like giving your password away, but like these are not problems within the Bitcoin network. These are like inherent problems that we all just face in our society. But like the technology itself is still secure because like it it still functions as normal. You just need to keep your personal passwords. What is a key takeaway that you would like to leave our listeners with today? You want to invest to fuel the innovations that are happening within society because innovation and technology all will always kind of surface within the old world and then disrupt to create new worlds. I mean, like think about your cell phone. Did anyone have a cell phone 30 years ago or 20 years ago? Now everyone has a cell phone. In many cases within the world, cell phones is more easily accessible than actual drinking water. There's a company right now, I forgot the name, but they essentially make these (laughs) panels that almost look like solar panels. And the panels itself can condense water vapor in the air and create drinkable water. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. I just did a quick search. The first company that comes up is called Source. They're based out of Arizona and the product is called Hydro Panels. That's awesome. I would invest. So like you kind of want to almost fuel these uh, innovative technology within the world right now because like these technologies will solve these core problems. And then by solving these core problems in a cost-effective way, you're essentially getting potentially ridiculous returns just because of like the economical benefit you're giving to the people within the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, Rhonda, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Gloria, for having me around. You're so welcome. As the aspiring Miss Independent, this is Gloria signing out. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. And if you're using Apple Pods, please toss me five stars. It would help me so, so much. So see you next time. Until then, 
stay healthy and grow wealthy.